Hello, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jane. Now we're both 25-year-old podcasters, Jane. We are. We're so adult. I know. I can't believe it. 25. I feel so empowered. And so in crisis. I know. It's true. (laughs) The world hasn't helped us. Like, it's not like, like, if we were having a great year and we were both like, we're having quarterly crises, then I'd be like, oh my God, get over it. But the fact that it's 2020, everything's horrible. It's so true. It started in Pisces season. And now we're in Leo. We're, no, now we're no, in Virgo we're in Virgo season. season now, now we're in Virgo. But like on my birthday, we were in Leo season. Yeah, and I was like, that's literally half the seasons later. <laughs> <laughs> we could spend a full year in this crisis. Every zodiac sign has to experience it. I mean, they all are experiencing it, but like in their sign. Yeah, gotta get through all the seasons. I, I, that's a joke. Like, please let this end before oh, the next no. Pisces season, please. Oh yeah. I'd love it if it ended with Virgo season. If anybody can wrap it up, it's the Virgos. (laughs) That's true. They're a very detail-oriented bunch. They could really get rid of the germs. And then the Libras will, like, ease us back into it. Oh, my God, the kitten is in here. Wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, no, wait, he's walking away. I was going to show you. Kitten! Yeah, my my new roommates have a little kitty. He's not really a kitten. I mean, he's nine months, so, yeah, he is a kitten. But he's really small. I don't think he's going to grow a lot. He's so small. So he's little and tiny, and he likes it in my room, and yesterday he got stuck at the back of my closet, and then <laughs> he was in there, and then I just saw, he, he had gotten his paw attached to one of my scarves in the closet, and he, I just saw, like, a white paw waving, and I was like, Halbert, and then his head poked, poked up, and it was, like, all wide-eyed, and I was like, oh my god, but then by the time I, like, got up, he had gone down and run away, so he was That okay. happened with my roommates and her dogs the other day, she came into my room and the three dogs all came with her and then we were like having a conversation and then she was like anyway i'm gonna go see you later and then she looked down and she was like wait i only count two dogs and we were looking around and we couldn't find bobby anywhere (laughs) and we finally like i looked in my closet which the door was open and like below where my clothes were hung and then there was like a bag of shoes at the bottom like his head was just like sticking out in between and i was like i found him (laughs) that's so funny i have exciting news (gasps) tell me um, we have reached 5,000 downloads, 5,000 <gasps> streams. I'm very excited for us. Where our numbers are going up a lot. Which means, really? like I said last week, yeah, like I said last week, like I know you're out there. Yeah, we're getting like 1,000 <laughs> listens a week now. Um, what? Like, like the last 3,000 have all literally been in like, I'd say the last month. And so like, I know people are out there. I know that you're listening. First of all, say hi. Also, the Larry Stylinson episode has 300 listens now. So I went Ooh. in and I was like, okay. Is it, is it just that not a lot of podcasts are talking about Larry Stylinson? And the answer is no, not a lot of podcasts are talking about Larry Stylinson. We were the first. We're, we weren't the first, but we are one of the only ones. Um, there's a podcast called Big Bitch Energy that I want to listen to um, that did two episodes on it. And then there's a podcast called Not To Be A Bitch, but which very similar energy. <laughs> yeah. Um, that has done... A three, I did a three-part episode on Larry Stylinson. That's three hours in total, which, good job <gasps> for you. I'm so proud of you, Big Bitch Energy. Um, I mean, I... not to be a bitch, but. And then Pop University covered it. Um, and the Pop Unmuted podcast covered it. But So there's really only five of us, and we are one of them. 
So thank you so much, everybody who's listened to the Larry Stylinson episode and now is listening to this episode. But I, I like, have some uh, more um, Larry Stylinson information that I would like to share with you. It's a quick tidbit. I don't remember all the details, but I watched a video last night that was, um, it was on YouTube and it was entitled James Corden being a dark Larry. <laughs> <laughs> It was a three-minute video, and it was literally just, like, any time... It, it was, like, several clips of interviews that he's done with the band and with them as individuals. Because, again, he's a very close friend of theirs. Like, yeah. when they were first formed as a band, they, he, like, lived, they lived with him. Yeah. Um, and it's just, like, a lot of them, like, somewhat, anytime someone makes a sexual innuendo, he, like, makes this, like, this face that's, like, a knowing <laughs> smile. And it's, like, what are you talking about? Like, at one point... um. They're talking about the lyrics to No Control, and Louis like, listen, it's about, um, <clears throat> and he, like, tries to, like, cough and change the subject, and then Lu Harry also coughs, and <laughs> James, like, like, hits Louis, he's right next to him, and is like, <laughs> guys! <laughs> oh my god. Like, you, if you watch the video, like, I didn't, I never noticed that, and it's, like, pretty much off screen, you can just see him kind of, like, tapping Louis' shoulder, and you know he's, like, laughing about something, but it's just so, like... I'm sure it's not even about that at all, but because right. it was framed in that way, <laughs> in I was like, context, oh my gosh, yeah. he, knows. he knows. He's in on it. Yeah. One of my new roommates told me today, she was like, I'm a Larry. I'm like, do I have the podcast for you? Um, <laughs> she said she'll listen, but she can provide some information as well, probably. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll come back with a Larry part two, since apparently there's three hours worth of content out I'll bring, there about it. We could bring Sam in maybe, or I'll just like... Yeah. yeah call Sam on the phone and have her tell me everything and exactly. I'll do more specific research. Right, 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 right. Um, but anyway, I'm happy for us for getting 5,000 downloads. Us just being, you know, two people who have this as a hobby. So that's exciting. Yeah. That's very exciting. Do you, you want to get started? Sure. Um, so you asked me about lanternflies, which I, I had never heard of before. And of course, I thought these were you, invasive to everywhere, but now, apparently just Pennsylvania. Um, no, it's a really big problem in Pennsylvania, and it's mm -hmm. recently been um, popping up a little bit in Maryland, mm. and acting um, like very quickly and very strongly, but mostly because of everything that went that um, Pennsylvania had to deal with. Right. They're like, let's not be another Pennsylvania when it comes to lanternflies. Pennsylvania is <laughs> a great state. No Pennsylvania. It is. Here. It is. Of course. And, and it's not I, anything that Pennsylvania did wrong. They're just trying to right. um, avoid complications. Of so um, the Maryland Department of Agriculture said in a statement that in early August of 2020, uh, a small population of lanternflies had been found in the upper northeast corner of Cecil County and the northern border, border of Harford County. Uh, lanternflies were first spotted in Pennsylvania five years ago. They were native to China, Vietnam, and parts of India, but they were accidentally brought to the United States with a shipment of stones, which was sent from Asia to Berks County, Pennsylvania. Uh, and the shipment unknowingly had lanternfly eggs attached. Because of the fact that they are new to the Pennsylvania ecosystem, they have no known natural predators in the mid-Atlantic region, and that's one of the biggest reasons why their numbers exploded so quickly. Um, they are an invasive species that feeds on more than 70 crops and plants, including grapes and oak trees, and I think I'm going to list a few more later. 
Experts have said that in the past few years, the lanternfly has caused more damage in less time than any invasive insect to ever arrive in the Mid-Atlantic region. Oh my god. That's yeah. insane. The scientific name is Lycorma delicatula, mm -hmm. and it has five different life stages during which it, its appearance changes, so it doesn't always look exactly the same. Uh, during the first few weeks of life, it resembles a shiny black jewel covered with white spots. Eventually, the spots turn a brilliant red color, and then they grow grayish-brown wings that are about an inch long and an inch and a half wide. Mm -hmm. And lastly, the wings develop black spots and red patches, and the body turns bumblebee yellow. Mm -hmm. um, they are notoriously poor flyers. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and yet they they're more... so destructive. <laughs> <laughs> they can't get very far, but <laughs> they're destructive. Uh, <laughs> Notoriously poor like, flyers. What? I love that. I love that phrase. What a roast! <laughs> Notorious for their poor flying um, across the fly nations. <laughs> uh, they more often hop or run, and they <laughs> <laughs> like it's a little terrifying, but also just them like. <laughs> scurrying. I don't know. I'm trying to fly. I'm trying to fly. I'm imagining a person like run hops a little bit. Tries to get off the like, ground. Maybe maybe if I get a running start. Here I go. Runs, right. jumps, <laughs> just falls back down, keeps going. <laughs> right, like it's a little sad. It's a little sad. <laughs> oh boy. Um, and they they more often hop or run as they flash their bright red underwings which is believed to be their method of warding off predators, which, again, they don't have any in the United States. Right. They're not native to here. They're not part of our ecosystem and food chain and yada yada. Uh, Fourteen counties in Pennsylvania have been placed under quarantine by the agriculture development. So, you know, trend. Um, <laughs> trendy. <laughs> this means that businesses or <laughs> quarantine so trendy. Um that means that what this means is it's not like a shelter in place type quarantine like we've got going for COVID. It means that businesses or shipping companies must secure permits before transporting any of a list of items across county lines. These items include mulch, tree bark, decorative stones, tractors, barbecues, and toys that have been kept outside. Basically, mm -hmm. any like outdoor hard surface because that's what they like to lay eggs on. Mm. And that's how they came to the U.S. in the first place is some stones were shipped here and they had the eggs on them and they didn't check for that. So far, Maryland does not have any quarantine of that nature in place, but Pennsylvania, I, I, I think they still, like, have it that if you're going to be transporting those, like, you gotta, like, you gotta fill out the permit, and I'm yeah. sure that just means, like, checking your stuff. Yeah, they're having it inspected everything. or something. Yeah. <laughs> the Philadelphia PD tweeted last year, please do not call 911 to report hashtag spotted lanternfly. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> While they are a nuisance, they are not a police issue, which kind of shows how... Well, um, okay, so you many, were... Yeah. <laughs> they, how many people it affected. Yeah, the, the some department in Pennsylvania did release an issue a statement saying that you were supposed to report lanternfly spottings because they wanted yes. to track their migration, but not Correct. to the police. It was like the Department of Agriculture. Exactly. <laughs> Yes. So that's hilarious that people were like, lanternflies, I'm calling the police. Like, <laughs> but it's just like such a like example of like why we need to defund the police because everybody thinks the littlest thing goes wrong, we call the police. Yeah. And it's oh so my God. like, 
They that's they shouldn't have to deal with everything. Right. Uh, they are proliferating, which I looked up what that means. It means growing in number. Now you all have a new word, proliferating. You didn't um, know that word? I guess I guess it's not a new word to me. <laughs> Like, but to me, I was like, word. what does that mean? I feel like I've heard it, but I didn't know exactly what it meant. So when it was like, the lanternflies are proliferating, I was like, okay, what exactly <laughs> are they doing? <laughs> I need you to tell They're me. making more life. Pro-life. They're, they're growing in numbers. Yes. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> they are proliferating more rapidly than researchers can handle. Uh, they feast on more host plants than expected, and they reproduce more quickly than anticipated. And again, no native predators. What a nightmare. Um, what an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it also latches onto a wide variety of hard surfaces, such as cars, trains, and trucks. So it is being spread that way. Um, the lanternfly has a feeding style that is particularly damaging to host plants. It, it, this is going to sound terrifying. Um, most insects... Scared that eat plants will just like eat leaves bark or fruit um mm -hmm. but um <laughs> what lanternflies do um is they have a sharp kind of straw-like mouth and they penetrate a plant's exterior and suck out all of the sap from the inside oh. <laughs> don't worry they just do it to plants they don't do it to people oh that's so scary though um <laughs> just do it to plants um what but if they can mutate they what they, they, they start doing it to humans. No, no, Sarah. I don't think they will. Okay. Because they seem to be getting quite a bit of food from the plants. Like, That's, I don't think true. <laughs> That's true. They don't need to evolve. Uh, but what they do when they suck out all this sap is they literally um, deprive the plant of any of the nutrients that it needs. Mm -hmm. So it weakens the plant, leaving them vulnerable to um, winter, to colder weather. Um, they make, it makes it really difficult for any plant to survive the winter. And interesting fact, when it consumes grapes, the resulting product is no longer sweet enough to bring to market. So it literally changes the taste of grapes. Ugh. Yeah. That makes um, some weird, it, dope, very expensive wine, probably. Like, that's probably going to become uh, like a rare wine. Lanternfly wine. Ugh. Did you know that every fig in existence has a bee in it? You might have, I might have already told you that. Every what? Every fig, like the, the, the fruit in existence, has a, has a bee in it. Why? <laughs> because the bees like what the What do you mean? <laughs> um, the fig tree, the, the fig tree, they go to the fig tree to like suck the pollen off of the flower from it. But then they get stuck to the fig and the fig just grows over it. They're like not in there. Like it's not like a, you're not going to eat a crunchy bee in the fig. Uh, they just get absorbed into the into the thick as it grows <laughs> and then just like dissolve i hate that yeah, i hate that so much i'm never a, eating a fig again i don't regularly anyway but <laughs> it's a gross fact but interesting uh, well um speaking of gross things um in addition to weakening plants by sucking out their nutrients lanternflies also excrete a honeydew-like goo which attracts other insects and a form of sooty mold that can finish off the already weakened plants. The goo also sticks to houses, decks, railings, and patios in infested areas. So it just adds gross gunk everywhere that attracts other bugs and it's disgusting. That's super gross. I hate that. In 2018, because of the threat of the lantern lanternfly invasion, uh, Maryland was unable to ban a pesticide that had been linked to developmental delays in children and uh, has also been linked to autism. 
So even though it like might be harmful to children, uh, which I would like to learn more about, it had it, they were unable to ban it then because of that because people are so scared of lanternflies, which I, I I get. So in order to avoid the outbreak that P that Pennsylvania had, Maryland is working with the Department of Agriculture to pinpoint specific areas where bugs are and treat the quarter mile radius around the spots. They are using two treatment types: a herbicide and an insecticide both of which have been studied and have been found to have no or very minimal health effects for humans and animals. Okay, that's uh, Yeah. Um, you will be notified if they are coming to do a treatment in an area that is on your property, and the treatment plan will be um, paused at the end of September and then picked up again in the spring because the, you know, during the winter it's harder to do, and it's also, um, they don't really get seen in the winter, like, you know, their life cycle is during the spring and the summer. Their favorite thing to eat is a sumac tree, uh, which the scientific name for this tree is um, Elanthus altissima, and it is referred to as the tree of heaven. So if you want to make any jokes about this being like, you know, antichrist related, <laughs> they're going after the trees of heaven. They're going after uh, the tree of heaven. They are the antichrist. Um, these trees are also native to China, but they have been in the United States as well since 1784, but it makes sense that the lanternflies would be targeting this specific tree because it's a tree that they've encountered before. And they're like, ah, we know this one. Let's go to suck it all and sap. Um, but again, there are more than 70 plants and crop types that have been, um, seen being fed on by lanternflies, including grapes, apples, and peaches, as well as oak and pine trees. Pretty much anything that's like fruity or woody, which also sounds all, like boring descriptors. But uh, isn't that are all trees? Many. All trees woody. What? I don't know. One of the descriptors for things they like was literally woody, and I was like, so trees, <laughs> wood. <laughs> you mean uh, wood? <laughs> you mean wood? Uh, <laughs> Experts in Maryland are asking their residents to report sightings of the insect as soon as possible, but to do so through the University of Maryland's Extension Home and Garden Information Center website. Oh, okay. um, Not to call 911. You can also report them by calling the Department of Agriculture in your state. Methods to kill them are to scrape egg masses off of the hard surfaces you find them on, to double bag them and then throw them in the garbage. That doesn't sound... Like, a really good way of getting rid of a species to me, but okay. No, definitely not. <laughs> also, that's, so that, that's only if you find the eggs. What if you find, um, like, a, a, a an adult lanternfly? Um, oh, true. Yeah. You can also um, place the eggs into alcohol or hand sanitizer, and that kills them. Um, so I'm going to be double bagging mine if I see it, but then also squirting it into hand sanitizer. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. It is encouraged if you find um, a lanternfly in any part of its life cycle, egg or adult or anywhere in between, um, that you take a photo of it, collect it, put it in a plastic bag, and then freeze it, and then call the state agriculture department, and they can tell you if it would be worth sending your dead sample to them to be studied so they can just get more information on the insect. Agriculture scientists are saying that if the lanternflies are not contained, it could drain Pennsylvania's economy of at least $324 million a year. Oh. And yeah, and could cause the loss of 2,800 jobs. 
which I assume are just in the agriculture field, like some farms will have to shut down and things like that. Under a worst case scenario in which scientists predicted what would happen if lanternflies were allowed to do their maximum damage without being checked, then Pennsylvania would lose $554 million a year and approximately 5,000 jobs. But even if the worst case scenario doesn't come to pass, the spotted lanternfly already has inflicted millions of dollars in damage in Pennsylvania's agriculture and forest industries. I couldn't find anything that says that they um, are medically harming humans in any way. I think they just go after plants. So the biggest problem is literally how it's harming the agriculture industry of Pennsylvania, which is just bad for like the world but also like local farming in pennsylvania like that would suck um yeah. it's it's amazing to get um local produce and you can't do that if your entire state's agriculture industry is being messed up no definitely not but also i'm sure pennsylvania like gets a lot of business from shipping crops um yeah. and selling them yeah so it's a it's a major um it's more of an economic thing that i thought it would was going to be so that's that. What are your experiences with lanternflies? Okay, so when they first popped up in 2018, or that was like the first summer that it was a big concern, mm -hmm. um, in 2019, the summer of 2018, I spent most of the summer in Europe. So mm -hmm. I remember talking to my mom on the phone and her being like, have you heard about this? And I had, but it, I wasn't around. So I never saw them and because I, I spent so little time in Pennsylvania. Mm. Then last summer, I worked at a summer camp, so again, I wasn't spending a lot of time in Pennsylvania. Um, I only went back to PA a couple of times, and both those times my mom asked if I had seen them, and I said no, and, she, and I asked her to describe it because I wasn't sure if I had seen it, and I was too afraid to Google it. Um, and she was like, oh, they're really pretty. I was like, okay. So then this year, I spent a lot of time in Pennsylvania because mm -hmm. we were quarantined there. <laughs> um, but then the summer hit and I, I moved back to New York essentially in June okay. before it had gotten really hot. But one time, just after Jane had left, I was in PA and Michael, there was like a big bug and I, Mike, Michael picked it up and he was like, is that a lanternfly? And I saw them and it was, it was black. And I didn't really hear what had come in the conversation. I just remember being like, is that a lanternfly? And this being like, maybe, I don't know. So I thought maybe, when my mom had, had described them to me, she told me that they were black and that they had pretty wings. So the, the mm. fly that I had seen was black and it had like almost sheer wings or whatever mm -hmm. it was. And they were like glassy. And I was like, okay, that's what a lanternfly looks like. So that was like, you know, back early July. Let's fast forward to uh, four, four days ago. Um, I was, oh, a recent story. Just after I had asked you to talk about them. I was driving to Pennsylvania for my birthday and I stopped at Target on my way home. Classic. Get mm -hmm. Classic. I think I literally, uh, oh, I stopped to get a dress to wear because I didn't have anything to wear for my birthday and I wanted to look pretty. So I stopped at Target and I had opened the trunk because my wallet was in my backpack in the trunk of my car. So I opened mm -hmm. my trunk and as soon as I opened the trunk, <gasps> this, this bug lands where you close the trunk and it looked like a moth in my head i was like mm -hmm. that's a moth and I, it was really big and i am not a bug person so i was like oh you are let's, not. let's hope that i can swat at it and it'll like fly away i did that it did not fly away which i've never experienced <laughs> a bug that just didn't leave when you kind of just like because i used a piece of paper i didn't use my hand i would never use my hand way too oh nope too close so i was like swatting at it with my with with like a piece of paper 
and didn't move. So I kind of just like used the paper to push it away and guide it towards the tail light so that I could close the trunk. And again, I thought this was a moth. So I close it, close the trunk, whatever, go home. It's my birthday. I have a great day. Next day, <laughs> next day, it's really hot. So I decide that I want to go swimming. So I go and I open the pool cover and in the pool are a ton of those bugs. And, it, and I finally clicked. I'm like, that is a lantern fly. That was not a moth. That was a lantern fly. That's why there are so many. So I just scoot them out of the pool. I go swimming. I'm fine. Ugh. Next that sounds day, horrible. Next day. And they were like ripped in half, like in the pool. Like they were so gross. But I got them out. It was fine. Next day, I go to Wendy's on my way out of town uh-huh. for a breakfast sandwich. Uh-huh. I'm, in, I'm in the drive-thru for Wendy's. About to head back to New York. Uh-huh. And on the wall of the Wendy's is like four lantern flies. <gasps> and then I look and there's like a cone next to my car because they had like they had set up this whole thing to like because the one the line was long. Yeah. Um, so they set up these cones and there was lantern flies on the cones and suddenly I realized that they were everywhere. Like uh-huh. the longer I stood there the more I saw. And I started freaking out. <laughs> It was I hate so that. gross. I was like, get me out of Pennsylvania. <laughs> it was so <laughs> disgusting. So that was my, after two years of hearing about it, this past weekend, I had three separate experiences. Oh. <laughs> Lantern flies. It was awful. It was so awful. And like, they are, like my mom's right when they say they're pretty. They, like I said, they look like moths. They don't look like flies. Yeah. They're big. <laughs> They're, like, the size of my thumb. Like, they're big. Mm-hmm. And they're scary. I mean, all bugs are scary. <laughs> scary. All, all bugs are scary, but I was not. I was not a happy camper. And that's Ugh. my story about lanternflies. There was a centipede in my room the other day, and I was <laughs> not happy. <laughs> no. I, I was literally, like, uh, it was, like, right next to my headboard. So I was, like, I can't just leave it there. I can't just be, like, okay, we share this room now, because I will not have him that close to me. And I no. have here of him, but I was, like... <laughs> Like, I literally was, like, <laughs> the whole time. No, no. So miserable. Nope. I saw a little, little tiny bug, like, so small it could have been a speck of dust in our apartment. And I was, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, we can share this space. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to be fine. Although I did see also a dead upside-down cockroach in the hallway, and that made me upset. <sighs> but I saw it so briefly, and it was gone the next day. Okay. So that was my lanternfly story. Is that everything you have with lanternflies? That is. Yeah, that was great. Thank you for all the, of all course. the info. You know. Thank you. I was stay aware of invasive of invasive fly species. I know. I hope Pennsylvania is able to quell their populations, <laughs> and <laughs> I too. hope I hope Maryland Otherwise, is I'm able not to going back. nip it in the bud or whatever the expression is. Nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud. <laughs> nip it in the bud. <laughs> doesn't not make sense but it's not the expression yeah (laughs) (laughs) snip it in the bud oh man oh man (laughs) okay well thank you so much for that information everybody everybody stay aware oh i have a i have a funny story i want to tell you it's real quick well it's two quick two funny things that i heard four-year-olds say today the first one was at one point the kids were doing writing work and the teacher was like, okay, I want you to write a sentence about what your favorite part of the summer was. And then this 
kid who's four goes, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about bears. <laughs> and this teacher was just like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, she, like, as long as he was writing about something, she was happy. <laughs> oh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my God. And then the other one might not be funny out of context, but <laughs> was at the end of the day, um, me and one of the other uh, people that worked there were sitting with this one girl and having her read this book to us that had very short words and she was supposed to be able to read it by herself. And she, we were like, here you go. And she opened it. She went, okay, this book is called the red hen, the red hen. Oh, I love red. <laughs> also fun fact, the cover of this book is red. And I, I was like sitting there like, what is this? A YouTube like review. And then she opened the book and went, Oh, that hen's not that red. Was this at the daycare? Yes. So before we get into my segment, um, for the Reddit segment today, I actually went on Reddit for once. And wow. Um, I, I think this is like a timely topic that like people are talking about outside of Reddit, but we haven't particularly talked about it yet. And we haven't talked about this specifically. We've talked about adjacent topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so today we're going, someone asked the question, why do people think there are no good cops? Mm. so like i think this is a this is something that i hear a lot i had this i had this discussion kind of with my mother um which she took very well and i think if you're gonna i think if you're going to talk about particularly older adults with more traditional views about why we should abolish and defund the police um then you need to have this dialogue very clear because I know that I get like really flustered when people who I know don't hold the same beliefs as me. And then I like get worked up and I get emotional instead of like talking calmly and rationally. Uh, So I just want to, I just want to share some of the things that people have said that like, if you just commit these phrases to memory, then like, I think that'll help (laughs) you. Um, Which like, I also want to do and use that as a segue to talk about like current events as well. So um, the question, the whole original post says, how did we get here? Law enforcement, from my experience, is mostly good and moral, and the idea that we should be attacking cops so fervently is disgusting to me. I see on Reddit all the time that good cops are exceptions to the rule, and so on and so forth. I am not denying anything existing either. I think that systematic racism exists and can even be linked to police forces in some cities. Um, my native Detroit, for example, although in that specific case, it isn't entirely racial, bad police exist and should be fired slash jailed depending on the severity of their offenses. But why is it that we now believe all cops are bad? How and why did we get here? Political responses to a minimum, please. I don't think Democrats or Republicans are solely responsible because both parties don't care about us at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, these were some of the responses, but I'm just going to read a, read a snippet of. This is from uh, Reddit user Moda Gamer. A cop's job is not to help people, but to enforce law. And depending on who you ask, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Note, enforcing law is entirely different than protecting against violence. Note, not only do police often do a bad job at protecting against violence, but often cause serious and traumatic harm to people. You can be a good person, but you can't be a good person and a good cop. Um, Reddit user avocados on toasted bun says (laughs) i didn't even take in that that was their name because they're saying the police system is corrupt so if the whole system of hiring training education workplace culture is bad they're saying the way police are taught to do their job is also bad Mm -hmm. 
Um, and Pactify then reply, replied, first, are you white? I can tell you my experiences with police when I'm by myself and with other white people have overall been very good. I would think the same as you, if not for my experience with police when, when I'm with black people. Second, all cops are bad. The reason it's all cops is because of police culture. The standard in policing is that when a cop sees another cop do something wrong, they don't call them out on it, they don't try to stop them, and they don't report them. Most of the times, they will work to cover it up. The few excep exceptions to this I've seen come from cops who are a higher rank than the cop who committed the crime, and even then, it's rare. That's why it's all cops. They don't hold each other accountable, and to say there are good cops because they treat people well just isn't true if they also refuse to hold their colleagues accountable when they abuse their power. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, I'm doing I'm just doing my job. It's not an excuse and it is known as it is what is known as the Nuremberg defense, which in a future episode I would like to talk about the Nuremberg trial, so I'm not going to go mm -hmm. into that right now, but that is the idea behind Nuremberg. It's just you use the idea that you're doing your job or following orders an excuse to commit crime. Which the original poster replied to this to that last comment and said, this is an interesting take and gives me something to think about. Thank you for the response, which this, this post has over 70 comments and I didn't read them all, but someone did say that the original poster was, was putting ignorant things under other comments. So it's nice that they, and someone was like, I'm glad the original poster listened to this comment. I, well, two things. I saw a post on Facebook today that was basically being like, why are we like why do we have to say all cops are bad because clearly um the police system has shown that they they have not been able to uh prove to their like system as a whole that black men are not dangerous mm -hmm. uh, or all black so like why are we saying all cops are bad aren't bad when we should be saying like not all black men are dangerous like it it's literally right I don't know, such a weird false equivalence that I feel like is being set up uh, between like, oh, well, now suddenly policemen are being prejudiced against. It's like, oh, really? You don't like that, huh? Like, uh, and my second thing is that technically, I, I also read recently that police are not legally um, bound to protecting you. Um, for example, the security guard who was... Work, who worked for the police um, department at Parkland School mm -hmm. um, during the shooting, he, like, he got out of there. He ran to protect himself. Yeah, and he And he, he was, like, sued, but then he got out of it because he argued in court, like, that there was no legal reason that he had to stay. Like, he was legally allowed to go and protect himself if he chose to. Yeah. And he won his case. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. And there was another, there's another case, I don't remember the details of it, but there was a there was a case in which there was a hostage situation and the police were involved and the police evaluated that if they went in, they would be likely to lose their lives. The police chose not to go in and save those people. And I believe those people died or were seriously injured. And the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court upheld that those cops were not required to put themselves yeah. in danger for the protection of others. So there is a legal precedence that the cops are not there to protect. They are there to enforce. And that's the issue. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, the other comments were pretty much saying the exact same thing. Some people were commenting about their experience of their cities where um, they have already started to defund the police. 
<laughs> there's this one infuriating comment that talks about there's an entire generation that grew up extremely entitled compared to previous generations. It's like, shut up about millennials being entitled. We're so poor. <laughs> you're we thinking? cannot afford to do anything. I know. It's like, oh my God. Okay. Anyway, so that's that. So I want to use this as a quick segue to talk about uh, Jacob Blake. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what happened this weekend in Wisconsin, it was it's wisconsin right yeah kenosha yes. wisconsin yeah. yeah um a young man named jacob blake um was witnessing a fight between two people and he called the cops to help break it up um at which time he turned to return to his car where his family was waiting for him and the cops shot him seven times in the back even though he was the one that had called the cops to break up a fight between two others and he was no threat and he was no threat whatsoever. And just um, the very fact that he was shot in the back is so symbolic. It is. Um, he survived the incident, but he is now paralyzed from the waist down. Mm-hmm. Um, the cops and have he's not in critical been... condition, I'm pretty sure. He, yes, he was in critical like... condition, but, like, they said that he is stabilized and he will survive. Okay. But I did oh, read that he has, like, se- like, at least one more surgery coming. Yeah. He's still. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm requires sure. Requires medical care. Definitely. Those are incredibly serious injuries yeah um they have not i don't believe they have fired or charged the cops responsible for this shooting um so if you would like to help with that you can sign a petition there is a petition at change.org um and they're calling for the governor of wisconsin tony evers to fire and charge the cops that shot him or the cop singular cop um, and you can do that at change.org. Sorry, I'm pulling up my <laughs> Instagram story. Resources, the, yeah, yeah. The Instagram story that has the information. New York, Ju- I got this from New York Justice League's Instagram. Uh, you can call the Kenosha City Attorney, the Kenosha Mayor's Office, the Kenosha Police Internal Affairs, and the Wisconsin Department of Justice. All those phone calls are, all those phone numbers are readily accessible if you Google them. But again, you could also go to the New York Justice League's Instagram, and they have it all on one post for you. <coughs> Excuse me. You can tweet at Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers at Tony for the number WI the, or the Kenosha okay. Police Department and use the hashtags justice for Jacob Blake, hashtag Kenosha, hashtag Black Lives Matter. You can also donate to the Milwaukee Freedom Fund because they are supporting protesters in Kenosha. Um, and in general, just demand justice for Jacob Blake and demand the end to police murder. Yeah. And that's your quick update on that. I just thought I've been seeing so much, like, I, I kept seeing, like, subtle headlines about it, but, like, I didn't actually talk to anybody about it today, Dang. and I just wanted, I was like, not only do I want to talk to Sarah about it, but, like, I just, I right. think it would be good, it's good to have it here. Oh, definitely. <laughs> just definitely. to keep it in the conversation, so it's not just another headline you see and then you move on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I vehemently agree with you. Um... So, on that note, let's move into talking about Sally Hemings. Right. Yes. Ooh. Um. This was this was interesting. This. <laughs> what a what a woman. You know. What a story. So, um. This this info comes from a mixture of Encyclopedia Britannica and Monticello's website, which seems like counterintuitive. Um. But. <laughs> 
2018, Monticello decided to create a major exhibit, permanent exhibit, honoring Sally Hemmings, Hemmings and her incredible life. And they used it as their way of acknowledging Thomas Jefferson's role in upholding the slave trade in America. Um, and I think they actually do a really good job with it. And they like have a real no excuses approach. Um, and a huge part of Monticello's like tourism is actually touring and sharing the stories of the enslaved people that lived there and where they came from and who their descendants are, which I think is interesting, like a cool narrative for them to take. Um, and like, that's a huge portion. Like you can tour just specifically for that and like learn nothing about Thomas Jefferson, which I think okay. is like cool. Um, so, and they had like a really comprehensive timeline on there with a lot of really great information. Um, so, which is why I went to Monticello's website. Um, and then mixed in some other stuff as well. Um, content warning for rape, Ooh. sexual assault, and violence against Black people. Yeah. So Sally Hemings, who was likely actually named Sarah, but nicknamed Sally, was born into slavery in 1773 in the then colony of Virginia. Her father was John Wales, and her mother was his slave, Elizabeth Hemings. According to oral history in the Hemings family, Elizabeth Hemings was the daughter of a white sea captain and an unknown slave. This means that Sally was actually three-fourths white, um, and she oh. had very fair skin. John is, and also is a third-generation enslaved woman who um, was a victim. Second. Well, I thought you were saying that her mother was also, um, like, her father was white and her mother was, and ignore me. Yes, yes, her grand, yes, her grandmother was, was, yes, her grandmother was, was a slave. Yes, Sally Hemingson's grandmother and her mother were both slaves, and they both were assaulted and had children as a result from, by their owners, although her grandmother her grandfather was not the owner of her grandmother. Okay. He was just a random white sea captain. And okay. it's like sort of implied on the website that she was raped when she was taken from Africa and brought over to, but that, that's not confirmed. Okay. She said that he was a white sea captain. Um, but that does mean that Sally was three fourths white because she had one white grandparent and one white parent. Wait. Yes, because her mother was half white, and then she had a white parent. Yeah, that's why. That's how that works. Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I can do math. Okay. So her father, John Wales, died in 1773 when Sally was an infant, and thus Sally was inherited by Martha Jefferson, Wales's daughter, with his wife. Um, her, Martha Jefferson is Thomas Jefferson's wife. So Sally Hemings was Martha Jefferson's half sister. Do you get it? Wait, her mother. Her mother. So Sally Hemings's <laughs> father was Martha, married name Jefferson's father too. So Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson's wife were half sisters. Martha Jefferson was just much much older <gasps> than Sally. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Sally was born when Martha when Martha Jefferson was already married to Thomas Jefferson. Oh. Yeah. Ugh. A little known fact. I did not know that. Um, so John Wales died and his slaves were passed on to his daughter because she was his only child, I believe. But the ownership by default passed to her husband, Thomas Jefferson. 
This means, like I said, that Sally Hemings was Martha Jefferson's half-sister, owned by her husband, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Um, Madison Hemings is going to come up a lot. Madison Hemings is Sally's most famous son, um, and he later stated that John Wales, his grandfather, had fathered six of Elizabeth Hemings' children, but there was no official, official record. So Sally likely had many siblings that were also half-siblings of Martha Jefferson. But there's, okay. no, again, there's no official record. Mm. Few details of Sally's childhood are known, except that she was a nursemaid to her owner's younger daughter, Maria. In 1782, her owner, Thomas Jefferson, left for France to serve as a diplomat, and that same year, Martha Jefferson died. Five years later, in 1787, he sent for Maria, who was escorted by Sally Hemings, and Sally Hemings was 14 at the time. In Paris, uh. Hemings was legally free. Hemings was reunited with her older brother, James, who had been taken there by his owner two years earlier. Um, the two lived at the Hotel de Lognac, um, while the daughters of Jefferson lived at a boarding school. So they lived independently, and they were treated as free people while there. According to her son, Madison Hemings, it is during this time in France that Sally became the unwilling concubine of her owner. Records indicate that Hemings received medicine for smallpox while she was there, but she recovered. Sally was trained in needlework and how to launder clothing to prepare her to return to work in Virginia. Uh, records indicate that she was occasionally, but not regularly, paid a monthly wage of 12 leaves, which is the equivalent of $2 today. Um, she learned to speak French. Oh, I, I thought you meant literal leaves for a second. No, leaves. Like, <laughs> <laughs> leaves. In French. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, like, they went to a tree and just plucked off 12 leaves and no. were like, here's your monthly pay. <laughs> no, but that wouldn't surprise me. Was she supposed to eat them? Sell them? <laughs> no, it wouldn't surprise me. While she was there, she learned to speak French, but it is unknown if she ever learned how to read or write in French or English. In 1789, two years later, when it was time for the Jeffersons to return to Virginia, Sally refused. Again, she was a free woman in France. Madison Hemings states she only returned after negotiating privileges for herself and freedom for her children. At the time, at only age 16, she was already pregnant with her master's child. So, mm -hmm. thus, knowing that she was pregnant, knowing that like she couldn't really sustain herself in France, but she was free there. She leveraged what little she had to say that if she would to return, the things had to be different for her. And she essentially made Jefferson promise her her freedom, but more importantly, the freedom of her children. Um, it is important to note that legally Hemings did not have the right to refuse sexual advances from her owner. Um, uh. So there was nothing that she could do about it. Upon their return to Monticello, Sally gave birth to her first child, who did not live through infancy. Although still enslaved, excuse me, Sally was, although still enslaved, Sally was given the title Maria's Maid and essentially performed all the duties of a lady's maid. In 1795, Sally gave birth to Harriet, um, but Harriet only lived to age two. In 1798, she gave birth to a son, Beverly, and another daughter named Harriet in 1801, both of whom survived. There was another daughter in 1799, but she also died in infancy. Then in 1805 and 1808, Hemings gave birth to Madison and Eston, respectively. 
all of Sally's children were born enslaved and three of them were born during her owner's presidency. Her daughter Harriet was forced to be a spinner in a textile factory. Um, and the original deal, according to like family story, is that Harriet had arranged that when her children turned 21, they would be free. So they were slaves until the age of, they were to be slaves until they were the age of 21. Um, in 1822, Beverly and Harriet Hemings were both permitted to leave Monticello. Um, at this point, Harriet was, I have to do some math, 22 plus plus five is 27. 27? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harriet was 27 and Beverly was 24. So it had already extended past the promise 21. Um, their owner's records actually listed them as runaways, but Madison states that they were freed and there doesn't seem to have been like a real hunt for them. Because Sally was three quarters white and their father was also white, Beverly and Harriet were able to pass as white in society and their connection to Monticello was never suspected. So even oh, I if bet they, they were pretty fair skinned. Yeah. Yeah. So even if people had heard, oh, two slaves, quote unquote, escaped from Monticello and there was a manhunt out for them, they would not have been suspicious because they were so fair skinned. Because when you said slave, they imagined a dark skinned person. Yeah. Um, in 1826, her owner died. In his will, he freed Madison and Eston, but Sally was still not legally emancipated, which broke his original promise. Martha, which was, who is one of the daughters of Martha and Thomas Jefferson, unofficially freed Sally after his death. She sort of just let her go, even though she was not, again, legally emancipated. Um, and Sally went to live with her sons in Charlottesville, Virginia, which like, <laughs> it breaks my heart that this woman finally was free after 50 some years she was in her 50s at this point and she went to live in charlottesville virginia and then in 2017 we had those terrible riots in charlottesville virginia that just like oh. that just like made me upset i was like oh my god um the three of them are listed in the 1830 census 1830 census as free white people so they were perceived as white and lived there as such but then in a special census in 1833, Hemings described herself as a free mulatto. And a mulatto is a person who is born of a white person and an enslaved person. Mm -hmm. um, Sally remained in Charlottesville until her death, until her death in 1835. She lived to be in her 60s. Um, Madison resettled in Ohio in the late 1830s after his mother's death, where he owned a farm and remained close to the black community, and he died in 1878 at the age of 73, so he actually lived a very long life. Eston also moved to Ohio, and he became a well-known professional musician. He eventually moved to Wisconsin, where he changed his surname to Jefferson and his racial identity to White, um, and he died in 1856. Both Madison and Eston made it very known that they were sons of Thomas Jefferson, it is actually unknown what became of Beverly and Harriet Hemings' lineage as they denied their connection to the slave Sally Hemings. Because again, they had at this point passed in white society. So they didn't want to risk exposing their roots. I mean, you got to survive. Like, it sucks. But yeah, but that means that we don't know what happened to that yeah. side of the family. Um, in terms of Hemings's relationship with her owner, descendants agree that she was a victim of sexual harassment. Um, and I personally believe she may have had Stockholm syndrome because like there are reports of her being very loyal to him and mm. um, 
like she never tried to leave and all these things and yes she had children but even after her children were gone or after her children were older yada yada um her descendant diana redmond says this is a quote from her she was in an untenable position today we would be looking at sexual harassment and the monticello website states sally hemmings's descendants and historians have a range of opinions about the dynamic between jefferson and hemmings given the implications of ownership age consent and dramatically unequal power between masters and enslaved women oh and sure yeah and historian annette gordon reed writes the power aspect of it is very real because obviously he could have sold her if he wanted to she could not refuse his advances but his wife martha could not say no to him either i think it would be easy for jefferson to rationalize this relationship because males were supposed to dominate women so there is this belief that jefferson rationalized to himself that sally loved him and cared for him and all these things which is why she stayed when in actuality mm. it's probably most likely true and according to madison is the case that she stayed for the protection and the betterment of her children um, Madison Hemings said his mother always stated that her children were Jefferson's only children by a slave, perhaps one of the extraordinary privileges she negotiated with him that she would be his only concubine, which also like is protection of her against STDs and all these other things. Um, mm -hmm. There's suspicion around that. Evidence has existed since 1802 that Jefferson fathered Hemings's children, but many denied Madison's claims through his life. In 1802, a disgruntled former political ally of Thomas Jefferson published an article in a Virginia newspaper exposing Sally as his concubine, um, which Jefferson denied. In 1853, John Cock wrote in his journal about the prevalence of interracial sex occurring on properties with slaves. Um, Mary Boykin Chestnut of South Carolina, who I think was like a society woman, I have no idea who she was, but she was quoted on the Monticello website. Um, she wrote, the mulattoes one sees in every family exactly resemble the white children, and every lady tells you who is the father of all the mulatto children in everybody's household, but those in her own she seems to think drop from the clouds. So it was like a very hush-hush thing, even though everybody knew it was happening. Yeah. But nobody wanted to talk about it. They wanted to gossip about other people, but they didn't want to confront it in their own households. In 1998, a DNA study genetically linked Hemings's male descendants, that of Madison Hemings, um, to Thomas Jefferson's. In his life, Jefferson never responded to the accusation of raping and fathering his slave's child. He, his family also denied his paternity and refused to acknowledge Madison and Eston's claims throughout the rest of their life that they were Thomas Jefferson's children. They like shunned them and didn't speak to them and refused to acknowledge the claims. In an article for the LA Times, Sally's descendant, Eveliva Jones, calls for the recognition of Sally as a first lady of the United States. Jefferson's wife, Martha, died two decades before he ever became president, and she's honorarily referred to as a first lady, even though she was not alive when he was in office. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Sally bore him three children during his presidency, um, and her legacy has been attempted to be buried by Jefferson's white ancestors for years. So she wants Sally to be given this honorary title instead of Martha Jefferson. Makes sense. I Mont support that. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll say is that Monticello's website states clearly that they want Sally to be remembered not as a concubine, but as an enslaved woman with every power structure against her who managed to negotiate with one of the most powerful men in the country to achieve freedom for her children. And that is the legacy of Sally Cummings. Thank you. Yeah, I thought it was like an interesting story. It is. That like I appreciated how you phrased some things to keep the center on.
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's something that Keep Mont- the focus. That's something that the Monticello website does too. That like I really appreciate that like this they make it clear that like this is her narrative. This is whole, yeah. her story, you know, which I appreciate. Um, I think that's really cool. And I I I agree with him with, you know, here's this woman who has absolutely no power and who has like the whole system against her. And I admire very much that she was able to secure like freedom for her children and negotiate with a very formidable person um, who could have easily killed her with no consequence. Yeah. Um, and she was brave enough to do that and, you know, stand up for herself. And even though, you know, there was no protection for herself, there was no way to protect herself against his sexual advances. She was still able to like care for her children and secure a mm-hmm. better life for them. And like, that's a very admirable thing. So, yeah. And they're alive today. Like, her descendants survived, and they're there to tell her story, and that's amazing. Does she have, like, a gravestone in Charlottesville or anything like that that you can, like, visit, or... Maybe? Um, actually, no, actually, it's unknown where she's buried. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, she is an unknown. Um, it's, yeah, when she died, her family didn't disclose where they buried her. They probably, Mm -hmm. they they probably couldn't afford a cemetery plot. Hmm. They had to bury her in some random place. Um, so it is, n- it is not known. She might have, like, an honorary one somewhere. Mm-hmm. But they don't know her official burial location. Okay, well, that Okay, is- well, thank you for telling me about that. Yeah, of course. That is everything. Thank you so I much. I apologize for- if... The- oh, sorry, go on. No, 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 you go. I was gonna say, I apologize if there's a couple of thumps in there every now and then. The cats kept jumping up and off and on the bed. Oh, <laughs> It's okay. Um, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to us through the link in our show notes or consider leaving us a five star <laughs> review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. Again, I know you're out there. don't be be a stranger do you know that song it's from catch me if you can it's such a good song oh i love catch me if you can i have okay i have an a option and a b option and it depends on what you ask me okay so i will i will ask first jane you know what i've been wondering what have you been wondering sarah i want to know about the actual jamaican bobsled team <gasps> that inspired the amazing cool runnings. cool runnings oh i love this topic <laughs> I, like, I would be happy to talk about that to to commemorate the olympics that didn't happen this year oh r.i.p yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that was supposed to happen yeah that didn't happen okay <laughs> i knew you i knew you would like this one <laughs> i love it but it is something I genuinely want to know. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. It's, it's so, so I'm pretty good. sure it's very inaccurate. Well, not totally inaccurate, but there's a lot of like things that were changed for that movie. Yeah. And I'm sure it's dated. But it's such I, a good have, movie. I just have fond memories of that movie. Uh, Sarah. Yes. <laughs> do you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Jane? I'd like you to tell me about the Amish custom of Roomspringa. Yes, this is perfect because this is like a fall thing and I was going to suggest it, but I was like, no, I won't force her. Oh. I won't force her. Oh my God. Oh, this is going to be good. I also have another thing to tell you about that's unrelated, but I recently 
um, got really invested in this guy on TikTok, who is this um, gay man who used to live in Chicago with his husband. But then and then went, he moved, and they think yes. he's in the FBI. And then, the FBI. <laughs> and then the Amish family, that, like, is on. <laughs> they're on his side. <laughs> and, like, the whole neighborhood is trying to, like, is, like, clearly, Prove like, thinks they're guilty of something, and they're trying to, like, pin something on the Amish people to get focus away from them. Yes. But they're, the Amish are literally not doing anything, and also the only reason that they think this guy is in the FBI is because he lives with another man who comes yes. and goes. Yes! <laughs> they, like, you don't understand gay people. Oh my god, it's so good. But, yeah, we're gonna talk about Amish people. Okay, yeah, yeah, anyway, so, sorry. Okay. It made me yeah, think yeah. of that. We're gonna talk about Rumspring. I can't wait. I'm gonna rewatch the Rumspring I thought I, kn- I thought I knew about it, but apparently there's more to it. Oh, there's a documentary you gotta watch. Like, I'll watch it and tell you about it, but you just need to watch it. Uh-huh. Okay. okay, great. So that's what's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering. <laughs>